Lord Jesus Christ, you are risen from the dead. You are the king of creation. All power and authority are in your names. We submit ourselves to you. We are your people. Take this time, Lord. Take these words. Lord, and transform them by the power of your love. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. This is the second Sunday of Easter, and I think the second Sunday of Easter is a really interesting place to be. We've come through the season of Lent, where we had our eyes fixed on the cross, the darkness of the cross, the pain of the cross. And during that time, we wrestled um, with the sin in our life. We, We moved towards repentance. We also grieved over the, the pain and brokenness that's in the world all around us. But as we dealt with these things, we finally came, after that long season, to last Sunday, to Easter, to the day of our most, of our most glorious celebration when we recognize that what looked like defeat and humiliation for Jesus was completely reversed in the resurrection that he was proclaimed and is proclaimed King of kings and Lord of lords, that all power and authority are in his hands, that all that sin, he's forgiven, that all that darkness, he's defeated, he's conquered it. And that seems like the biggest and best happy ending ever. It is, actually, only it's not the end. It's not the end of the story. It seems like it should be, but it's not. The next day comes, the next day dawns after the resurrection, and we're still here. We come with the disciples and say, oh, okay, Jesus, what's next? You've risen from the dead. Where do we go from here? What are you going to do? It's not in our readings for today, but in another one of the places where we see Jesus first appear, the disciples say, surely now is the time when you'll establish your kingdom, Jesus, right? Like now is when... Since you've defeated all the powers of darkness, you're going to go and wipe out all the bad stuff in the world, all the bad people, all the bad things, all the pain, wipe away all the tears, nothing bad anymore, right? And we're going to rule and reign with you. We're going to be at the right hand of the Father together, right? And Jesus says, not yet. That time has not come. It's coming. That's going to happen, yes, but not yet. Instead, and this is very shocking, (laughs) Shocking to them, shocking to us. My plan, the next step, the thing that flows naturally from my resurrection, from my victory, is that I'm sending you. And if there was a record playing, it would just, you know. (laughs) Wait. The immediate outcome of your rising from the dead, defeating evil and sin, is you're sending us? So for the disciples who are listening, keep in mind that the last time they saw Jesus, it was like this, as they were running away from him in his greatest hour of need on the way to the cross. They're abandoning him, right? They haven't done anything to sort that out. They haven't even said they're sorry. (laughs) But he comes back and he says, the immediate outcome of my victory is that I'm sending you. 2,000 years later, things haven't changed very much. Jesus is still the risen king. We're still in a world where things are broken. And he's still saying through the scripture, and so I'm sending you. 
And like the disciples, we're like, hold up. (laughs) I'm not so sure this is a good plan, Jesus. I'm not sure you thought it through. Like, I'm doing pretty good to get out of the house with matching socks on. I'm just barely holding my own life together here, Jesus. Like, how are you going to send me into the world as, the, as like the outcome of your conquering death and sin and evil? Like, how does, how's that going to work? Jesus, did you read the Old Testament? Like, did you see what happened when God sent people to do this work before? It didn't work out. Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world. But something has changed. Something fundamental, profound has changed. Because in his work on the cross, in defeating sin and death, the barrier between God and his people has been destroyed. It's been broken down. It's gone. And so he's saying, I'm sending you, but I'm not sending you alone. You're to go into the world and make disciples, but I will be with you until the end of the age. And he breathes on them, this is in our passage this morning, the Holy Spirit. And we see that happen again, of course, at Pentecost. On this side of the resurrection, we live in a strange, beautiful, broken world. We live in a world where Jesus Christ is the victorious king, but where brokenness persists, where death and evil still seem like they're winning. And as strange as it seems to us, God in his wisdom has chosen not as a plan B, but from before creation... To send us into the world full of his own presence and life as an answer to this. Sometimes we wish he wouldn't, but it is the very power of God that's at work in this. Friends, this is good news. It's very good news. It's good news because all these 2,000 years later, sometimes when we look around and we see the brokenness in the world around us, the, the pain in our own lives, the way that the church often disappoints, we might be tempted to believe that this was all a mistake, that we've gone so far off the rails that there's no more good to be done, that, that all we can do is, is hang on and wait for the end. But that's not the case. This was the plan. This is what things looked like right after the resurrection. Jesus has taken broken people who've made mistakes and he's filling them with his power and sending them into the world. And he says, the fullness of what he says is, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him vulnerable. He sent him easily ignored, apparently weak. And he sent him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, ultimately, he sent him in power that could not be overcome by the forces of darkness. We want that kind of life. But what does it look like? How do we do it? This is the work of the church. The question we have to answer. How do we live following, filled with the risen king and his authority in a world that's still broken? where there's still pain, where there's still disappointment, where things are not the way that we would like for them to be. How do we do that? Well, this is a question, again, as old as the church. In 1 John, our epistle reading today, um, we, are, we are looking at a moment that's in living memory of the resurrection. People still remember what Jesus' face looked like, right? And already the church is going off the rails, it seems like. Like, people in the church who had been a part of the church and are still considering themselves a part of the church are saying uh, Jesus is not the Son of God and he's not the Messiah. And they're going around and teaching other people that. That's what's happening. 
And John writes a letter in response to this to correct it. Uh, And and he's saying, okay, um, church, (laughs) uh, let's be clear about what the gospel is. Jesus is Lord. He is Messiah. Be loyal to him. Confess that. But more than I want you to say that, he's saying, I want you to live that. I want you to live the truth. I want you to live faithfully uh, to Jesus by embodying his ways in the world. And the theme that he takes up to communicate what this looks like is the theme of love. It's not a new theme. It's what's been given from of old, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. It's what Jesus taught. It's what's already been communicated in the gospel. So John's reminding, but he's also uh, fleshing it out in a way that maybe we haven't seen done exactly before. And we hear in this kind of beautiful, beautiful uh, prose that he, that he speaks about love, uh, answers to the question we just asked. How do we live in a broken world as those filled with Christ? How do, we do, how do we live on this side of the resurrection when all things have not yet been made new? John says, love. We say, well, what exactly are we supposed to be doing? He says, love. And we say, well, how will we know if we're doing it right? How will we know if we're heading in the right direction? Love. Well, where will we find the strength to do this? Love. Well, how will we know who's really from Christ? Love. This is John's answer. So we like this, right? Like this is appealing. This is attractive. When we read this chapter, it's like, yes. Because in our world, in our culture, love is one of the most highly held up and appreciated values. It's one of the things we like the most. Um, And I think that's because for 2,000 years, the church has been demonstrating love until really it's very hard to argue that love is not one of the greatest, highest, most powerful and important things. But even as culture, culture generally has accepted love as a primary value, the meaning of love um, has also been reshaped by popular culture in a lot of ways. And so part of the work that I want to do this morning is as we think about what it looks like to live on this side of the resurrection in a still broken world, following Jesus, filled with his power, if that looks like love, then we need to unpack what love is a little bit, how it works, what it means. Uh, and the, so I'm going to say one primary thing, and then I want to show two or three, maybe four things that kind of flow from that. And, and, and this is the main thing I want to say. Uh, if love is our guide, if love is our vot- motivation, if love is our power, then as Christians for John, for all Christians ever since then, the definition of love has been given once and for all in a way that is unsurpassable, irreplaceable, uh, definitively experienced. And that is, of course, the cross. The cross is the definitive picture of love. It's what love looks like. So I don't know if this is a helpful thought experiment or not, but it was useful to me as I was thinking about this. So I'm going to offer it and do with it what you will. I, I was imagining giving someone like a, a card, like the kind you buy at Target, you know. Um, it's got a big I heart you on the front. And I was thinking about what it would mean to give that to someone, what I would be communicating. But then I thought about what would it look like if, uh, let's assume that heart's made out of felt, and I peel it off the front of the card, and I replace it with a little crucifix, and I give that card to somebody. I, Jesus on the cross, you. Think about that. What would that mean? What would that be saying to the person. 
The cross is the fullest and most perfect picture of love. So, so what does the cross teach us about love that we might not pick up in the world around us? Okay, first, it teaches us that love is a choice. Um, in the world, we've been taught to think about love primarily as an emotion, and it is an emotion. I'm not saying it's not. But we've been taught to think of it almost exclusively as a feeling. Like to say, I love you means um, that I feel affectionately towards you. I feel warmly towards you. I feel good in your presence. I like you, but more than that, right? That's, what, that's how we think about love. But consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood as he prays the words, take this cup from me. Father, not my will, but yours be done. The ultimate act of love was not done simply out of warm feelings. <laughs> Jesus chose to go to the cross over, like in the face of incredible negative emotion, in, in the face of despair and pain. He'd been betrayed, but he chose to go anyway. It's sort of like I tell my kids, this is another analogy. It's like, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear, right? Like a person who doesn't have any fear is just crazy. It's, it's crazy not to have any fear. Courage is to be afraid and do something anyway. It's to face your fear. Similarly, very often, love isn't the absence of negative feelings. It's, it's facing those negative feelings and choosing to be merciful to be patient, to be gracious and generous anyway. When we love like that, we're, we're touching the kind of love that we see on the cross. And of course, the love that comes easily is great too. The, the love that's an overflow of our natural desire is good too. But it's bigger than that. Because if we're just waiting to feel like loving, <laughs> we may find that we're waiting quite a while to love each other, especially uh, and in the harder situations, to even to love God. But one of the amazing things we'll find, I think, is that when we act, when we choose to love, when we do love as an action, we'll actually find that our feelings follow. We'll actually find that our affections grow. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. It's when we actually give ourselves in these ways, not necessarily because we always want to, we will find that the warmth comes and increases. Not always, but often. So in the cross, we see that this way of being in a broken world where things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, where things are still hard and messy, there's an invitation to choose to love um, even when we don't feel like it. But how do we do that? Where do we find the strength to do that? Well, this brings us to the second thing, and that's that love doesn't start with us. It starts with God. Um, and our culture's taught us if we want to find love, we look deep in our own hearts and, and we, if we find that seed there, that flame there, we hold it and, we, and then we go and act courageously out of it. You know, that's what true love looks like. The scripture tells us that true love is this. Not that we love, but that God loves us. And again, the cross is the ultimate picture of that. Jesus is able to take the hard road to the cross. Again, not because of uh, necessarily just warm feelings, but because of his relationship with the Father, because of the love of the Father, his love for the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. 
It's that relationship that flows and empowers him to do these difficult things. And the same will be true for us. When we know God's love for us, when we understand how much he loves us, that, we are his, that he's made us his own children, that our identity is completely sealed in the way he sees us, not the way other people see us, not even the way that we see ourselves, which is always so broken and full of darkness and lies. Right? When we understand his love for us, therein lies the power to go and love likewise, to be generous and gracious and merciful, even when we don't feel like we can be. It's his love that begins that and that makes it possible for us. And that's the kind of thing that changes the world. That's what it looks like to love and follow Jesus in a world that's still broken, where things still don't seem quite right. Uh, There's also a story in our culture, a subtle story, that if we love, if we're loving, that um, everyone will be happy and that everything will work okay and that everyone will like us, right? And so love uh, just becomes being nice or being um, convenient, not being in the way, something like that, Um, doing what people want. But in the cross, we see a different picture once again. Uh, Jesus' road, I mean, right before he goes to the cross, he's giving Peter the slightest hint of what he's going to be doing by washing his feet and serving. And Peter's like, absolutely not. (laughs) These are his closest followers. Um, People didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Many of them rejected what he was doing. Many of them couldn't receive what he was doing. But it was still the perfect act of love, again, that he was able to do out of Love, the love of the Father, out of that obedience and that relationship. It's what empowered him to continue to choose love and to love rightly in the face not only of um, misunderstanding, but of rejection from the people he was giving love to. That's what love looks like. That's what following Jesus often looks like in a world that's still broken. Finally, um, in this broken world, you know, we've learned in our bones that nothing comes for free, that anything that we have has to be earned. And so it's very hard for us not to think that that's true of God's love or of anything that we would receive from him. But if the cross teaches us anything, it's that that's not true. Because Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, right? The cross isn't something that might happen if we're good. (laughs) You know what a parent says to the kid, like, if you're good, maybe. No, the cross isn't a maybe if you're good, I'll die for you, right? It already happened. Like God has shown his love for us in the most complete way already. It already happened. His love is available. It's been given. It's poured out. There's nothing left to do but to to receive it, to say yes to it. So if love is not a requirement, if it's not a test that we have to pass to get in, then what is it? It's an invitation. All this talk about love points us back to the truth of what we're being invited to in the first place from Jesus is a relationship with himself. But here's the thing. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, if you hang out with him, if you spend time with him, if you, if you turn your heart towards him, you start to get to know him. You start to find out what he's like. And it turns out that what he's like is the cross. It's self-giving love. What he cares about is you, is people, is, is, is his children. And so to be with Jesus and to know him is to love what he loves. Not all at once, little by little, but 
as we know him and spend time with him and receive his love, we learn to love what he loves, who he loves, how he loves. And so John's invitation here, his call uh, to, to love, is the same thing as pointing us back again to faithfulness to Christ. So let's summarize this. Let's, let's, let's pull it together. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is king. He is Lord. All power and authority are in his hands. And his plan, not ours, is that he would send us. Not because we're strong enough, not because we're smart enough. But he's sending us in our weakness. He's sending us in our um, smallness. He's sending us vulnerable. He's sending us easily ignored in the power of his love. And the way we live that is by receiving that love. The step one is to receive the love of God and be transformed by it and to never turn away from it, to continually let it define who we are. And when we receive that love, when we know it, that will empower us, little by little, imperfectly, in small and often ignorable ways, to choose to love others, even when they don't understand, even when they don't appreciate it, and to keep going and to keep loving Not because we have to, but because we ourselves have been loved. Not because it's a requirement, but out of the gratitude that springs from knowing how much God loves us. So we don't want to just say this today, we want to do it. We want to do it, and we're going to. When we come to the table, to the Eucharist, it's exactly what we're talking about. Why do we come? We come because God loved us. We don't come to the table to create something, to make something happen. We come because God's love has been poured out freely. And the blood and the body freely given to us are a love letter that's in the shape of a cross. It's a cruciform, I love you. I love you this much. Body and blood, broken and poured out. You don't have to earn it. I'm giving it to you. Receive it. It's yours. Full stop. So that's our work today. First is to simply receive the love of God, to know that we are his beloved children, just to sit with that. But you know what? As we do, gratitude begins to well up. We will find that he does invite us to go out into the world, participating in that same love we've experienced, being channels for that love to flow from him into us and out of us to the world. Not because we have to, not as a test, something we get to do because he loves us. He's including us in his very own work and his very own purpose, which again is love, cross-shaped love. Finally, uh, we get actually to practice two sacraments today, which is a celebration and a wonderful thing. Not only will we come to the table, but before that, as we prepare to do that work, Uh, we also get to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Two men are going to come up uh, this morning in profession of their commitment to Christ uh, in the waters of baptism. And what is this except a person saying yes to Christ's love for them and out of that love being united to his body that he loves? And so we're saying to each other, because Christ loves me, I love you, and we are one, and together we're going to go do the work of loving the world. Not because we have to. But because God loves us, 
We're going to share that love with each other, and we're going to pour out in a world that won't understand it often, that can't receive it often, because the world's still broken on the side of the resurrection, but the resurrection is real, and the power of God is in it to change our lives and ultimately to change the world. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we submit ourselves to this work. We submit ourselves to your love. Lord, it is better than anything else. Our love is just a shadow of your love. Our attempts at following you are imperfect and small, but that's your plan. It's what you've chosen. It's not an accident. So we don't have to be discouraged. Give us the eyes to see that you're at work in our lives. Give us the ears to hear where you're at work around us. And may we say yes to you in love. May we take up that cross-shaped life full of gratitude. And may the world know who you are because of our love for each other. We pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.